This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We have heard for some time now the possibility of a deal to combine two of the players in the wireless industry, Sprint and T-Mobile. And now, finally, it appears that they are to the point where they could announce plans for a merger. The proposed $26.5 billion deal would mean the combination of the number three and number four providers in the industry. But the question of the day deals with whether regulators will approve this potential merger. Herbert Hovenkamp, professor with a joint appointment at both the Wharton School and the University of Pennsylvania Law School, joining me in the studio to discuss this possible deal. And also with us on the phone, Hamant Bargava, who is chair in technology management at the University of California at Davis. Herbert, great seeing you again. Thank you very much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Hamant, as always, great to have you with us. Uh, thank you, Dan. Good morning. So, I, I mean, give us your thoughts, because it, it, it feels like, Herbert, we're, we're going on the old line, the third time is the charm here for uh, for Sprint and T-Mobile. I'd be a little surprised if the third time is a charm. Uh, market shares are pretty high. Post-merger, you'd have three firms with more than 30% of the market each. Under the orthodox approach that the merger guidelines take, that would be a clearly challengeable merger. Uh, and we'd have to look for some offsetting efficiencies, many of which are claimed. They're hard to prove. In this particular case, I think they would be very hard to prove. Uh, so, you know, and we've got three agencies this time that need to approve this merger. The, one of the antitrust divisions, uh, probably the Justice Department, uh, the FCC, but then also uh, the Committee on Foreign Investment, because both of right. these companies are foreign-owned. Uh, and that committee is subject to a presidential executive order. You might remember that about three weeks or so ago, President Trump vetoed a merger between Qualcomm and Broadcom, and he could probably do that uh, this time again. So there's a whole lot of uncertainty facing this merger. Hema? Um, I think everything Herb said is correct. <clears throat> but I also think if it were really if that were all, then T-Mobile and Sprint should not even have bothered trying this out one more time. So there's a little more to that. And, you know, their argument might be that uh, they'd really become big enough to be serious competitors to AT&T Verizon, whereas presently they may make competitive moves, but the other two big companies react for a short time and then things go back to normal. Um, and, and I think there are other arguments that may relate to 5G, which is right. the forthcoming technology, that 5G may actually make it possible for new entrants to come to the market. I don't think that is totally true either. But the, most, the biggest reason I feel this merger should be blocked or maybe will be blocked, there is the conventional reason which Herb mentioned. But my feeling is that if T-Mobile and Sprint can remain independent companies, but therefore they're weaker compared to AT&T Verizon, that may actually enable new players to emerge who will then align with T-Mobile and Sprint. And we may then have actually four big players. And I would really look forward to that kind of possibility. And I can think of multiple firms that might want to get into this industry and, and they would not be able to do it even with 5G without one of these two companies. So I, I think leaving them independent really opens up both the wireless industry to major competition, but it will actually have 
spillover effects in other industries that depend on communication. Well, let me ask you this, Hamad, because one of the things that uh, that uh, John Laguerre and uh, others are saying is that really we're not talking about a big three or big four right now, even because Comcast is starting to dip their toe into the wireless industry. You have you know others that are looking at it as, as well. Comcast, obviously, as big as it is, is kind of a, the newborn baby in this realm. So, I mean, does that argument hold any any weight in your mind? I think it holds partially. So the, the idea of its 5G networks is that they're built using thousands of small sites that communicate and have very high bandwidth, but each of those have very small range. And because they, in that sense, they don't involve necessarily setting up these big towers and, and all of that, that new entrants could come into the market. Xfinity Mobile operates somewhat like that, using a lot of, you know, Comcast, thousands, hundreds of thousands of hotspots. Yeah. But the problem is all of this works in a fixed position setting. The moment the user becomes mobile and maybe traveling in a car at 60 miles an hour, this does not work anymore because these small sites, you know, with small ranges, you'd be flipping between sites like really, really fast, and that would be problematic. And so in order to do mobile communication, you need to go back to some of the existing technologies and the infrastructure that only these four companies really have. And so in that sense, uh, it, it really would not work for a new entrant like Comcast. Right? Comcast still, uh, the Xfinity Mobile works because I believe they have a roaming ag- agreement with Verizon. And so they do use Verizon infrastructure in order to deliver mobile service. Right. And so if we get down to just three providers, it's, it becomes less likely that players like Comcast will be able to create favorable deals with one of the three. And, and this is where I think maintaining these two companies separately and then presumably them being bought over or you know heavily aligned with companies like Comcast. I'm thinking Google. Google has the Project Fi service for which they've also negotiated agreements with the big three firms. But it's possible that uh, in the future someone like Google or Apple may buy one of these companies and actually become a full-fledged service provider. Well, and the interesting part, Herb, here is the 5G. And we're getting closer to having that service as an entity in, you know, in what we do. And it almost makes you wonder how these companies are going to be different and whether or not if this was a deal that waited another two years or four years, whatever. I know they want to get it done now so that they can be ready to compete. But if you waited another couple of years when we were really on the cusp of 5G and we're pretty close to that already, uh, whether or not it actually would hold more weight to potentially go through. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing we've learned from decades of merger policy is companies always hold out the promise of some future or nascent product or technology and say, well, the merger is going to facilitate the development of that. That's a very easy thing to say. The Justice Department, I think, wisely looks mainly at the short run, like what's going to happen to pricing in the next uh four or five years where we're certainly going to have greater concentration in the cell phone market and the and cell phone pricing is historically quite responsive to greater concentration. And with respect to this 5G, I, I agree with I, I agree with Hamad. This there's a lot of there are a lot of questions to be answered. A lot of this can be accomplished by licensing, which means that the efficiencies, even if they 
came came about would not be merger specific. If you can do it by a license rather than by an acquisition, the Justice Department would prefer that you do it by uh, license. At this stage, it's not even clear that having more rather than fewer uh, competitors developing 5G is going to make all that much difference one way or the other. There's been testimony on right. both sides. Uh, so this is all very abstract, and it's not the kind of evidence that the Justice Department is likely to countenance when it's considering whether there's offsetting efficiencies. And, and I guess the other question to, to ask is, you know, if you go back a couple of years, uh, you had the potential, obviously it was it was shot down, uh, of AT&T being involved with, with T-Mobile. Uh, or, uh, yeah, I guess it was T-Mobile uh, a few years ago. Uh, that was obviously knocked down by the regulators as well. So I guess the thought process would be, if that would be knocked down, is this type of a deal, which apparently, from what I read, is more like T-Mobile buying out Sprint than an actual merger. Is that any realistically any different than what AT&T was trying to do a few, few years ago? No, I don't think so. And, and furthermore, in this case, T-Mobile is what's known in the merger guidelines as a disruptor or a maverick. It's a firm that unsettles the rest of the industry yeah. through aggressive pricing, aggressive growth, uh, and in merger law, we cherish those firms because those are the <laughs> firms that force markets to stay competitive. And, you know, I think the given wisdom is that T-Mobile performs a very useful function in that way. Uh, and if it teams up with a much a more struggling uh, rival Sprint, uh, it, we may be giving up that disruptor strategy, and that would not be good for competition in the wireless market. Hey, Ma? Yeah, I think Herb makes the, exactly the right point about T-Mobile. Um, and in that sense, it's a little different from the AT&T's uh, attempted merger because that would have left the industry with two big firms. And now T-Mobile's claim would be that they'll merge with Sprint, become a third firm, and try to maintain their maverick status. And I think the counter argument would be that now, I think if they merge, they would surpass AT&T, so they become the second largest firm. And it's quite possible they will now start behaving like the big bad guy rather than being the maverick. I'm going to be interested to see how this also plays out, Herb, from the perspective, as you mentioned, with foreign investment, because you mentioned what happened with Qualcomm a couple of weeks ago. The concern there were the firms that were Chinese that were potentially involved in this. SoftBank... Uh, Japanese is obviously involved with Sprint. Uh, so, I mean, is there any difference in terms of the fact that we're talking about a, a country that is obviously friendly with us, a partner with us, compared with one where we're obviously having issues right now? Well, there are, yeah, I mean, on the other side, uh, these two firms have both already passed review individually in front of the Committee on Foreign Investment. Right. The Deutsche Com, uh uh, holdings and the and, and the Japanese right, yeah. holdings have both, and so in this particular case, the the more interesting question is: okay, if you have two foreign firms that are now going to merge, they still are going to need to be reviewed, and passing as uh, as they did individually is not going to guarantee passing uh, when the structural market is much more competitive. And you know, you can say what you want in terms of. Uh, changes that might speak in favor of this merger. But right now, we're in a very precarious position with respect to foreign investment. We have a, an administration that's rather skeptical of it. 
and so, uh, you know, antitrust is not the only hurdle that these firms have to get over. How important, Haymont, is this potential deal for Sprint? And I say that, if, you know, if you go back to the early earlier days of when we started to use uh, cell phones to begin with, Sprint was a, a relatively big player in the early days of the market, and obviously they have slipped uh, in the last decade or so as, uh, you know, AT&T and Verizon have passed them by. Yes. So I, I think Sprint, uh, if at all, needs some big action in order to survive. Uh, Sprint has lost market share in recent years to T-Mobile. And most importantly, in some sense, you can think of competition occurring in two layers between Verizon and AT&T for the top end of the market and between T-Mobile and Sprint for more budget-conscious customers. So in, in that sense, if uh, T-Mobile and Sprint merge, that competition vanishes away. Life becomes a lot easier for uh, the old Sprint. Um, and if this merger does not go through, I think Sprint has been struggling and they will continue struggling. And uh, this is why, to me, there is an opening that, you know, in, in other discussions, we've talked about the entertainment and content industry and how they have been sort of at the mercy of the uh, pipeline companies. And to me, if, if a weak sprint may potentially be taken over by a firm that also sees value as a content player who can then reach, um, you know, 10, 10, 20 million consumers. And one of the interesting things about 5G is that it partly or largely operates on unlicensed spectrum, which means that a new entrant can come in and actually become a, a player in this industry. And then if they could align or buy Sprint, they actually become a full-fledged service provider. Yeah, yeah. Heyman makes one very, very important point here. This is a market in which it's product differentiated and the competition exists in two layers. You've got kind of the two Cadillac firms, uh, Verizon and AT&T, which are costly. They have the biggest, fanciest networks and so on. And then you've got these two scrappers down below T-Mobile and, and Sprint who are competing with each other, and they force, you know, they put pressure on Sprint and, uh, I'm sorry, on Verizon and AT&T yeah. to keep their prices down and their product offerings up. And there's a real concern that if uh, Sprint and AT&T should merge, they'll become just another big company. They'd have a market share somewhere around the same size. And uh, then uh, that element of competition will disappear, uh, and we'd probably see prices go up. And importantly, in merger law, we do not permit offsetting gains in different markets to, uh, to set off an actual predicted price increase in, in one market. If, if the predicted prices for cell phone service and, say, texting are going to go up, that would be sufficient to condemn the merger and future developments in, uh, in other technologies simply are not going to operate as an offset to that. This is Knowledge at Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're talking about the potential merger of Sprint and T-Mobile. Your thoughts on this potential deal are welcome. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Hey, Mott, so if you're the executive, 
executives from Verizon or AT&T at this point. Uh, what are you thinking right now? Well, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that this merger gets blocked because, uh, yes, as Herb said, if they do merge, there is a ser- really serious third player. But at the same time, you know, I think um, I think this number three has to be talked through very carefully. So even though there might, after, after a potential merger, there might remain three players, most consumers really will not have a choice between three providers. They may have just one or two. Some of that because, could be because of coverage and signal uh, limitations in the areas. Other uh, reason could be because of the bundling uh, strategies that these firms are going to use. And AT&T and Verizon might offer bundles along with their um, you know, landline service, internet service, television service. So really, with th- that's the point that even with three players that are equally powerful, you will not get ex- very high competition. And so prices are still likely to go up. So I think if I were CEO of one of these two companies, it's, it's really uh, doesn't seem that this is going to be um, uh, you know, terribly different in terms of hurting me competitively. Uh, but I think certainly uh, there is, as long as T-Mobile and Sprint are putting price pressure at the lower end, that is... Uh, something that these two firms do not want. And so they may actually be somewhat better off uh, with a merged uh, uh, company. And obviously part of the problem right now, Herb, is that when you look at these industries in general, whether it be wireless or you know uh, uh, technology, we're paying more and more for a lot of these services to begin with already. Companies like Comcast, if you're you know still one of those people that uses traditional cable, you know you're paying more and more already for that. This is lumping another potentially lumping another level onto the consumer wallet right now. It is, you know, and there's an old saying in merger policy: if if competitors approve of a merger, it's probably a bad idea because that <laughs> means they're not fearful of increased competition. Uh, more likely they're ex- expecting some oligopoly and higher prices. On the other hand, if competitors are opposed to a merger, uh, that's a signal that the merger is probably uh, good for consumers who benefit from more from more competition. Hey, Matt? Yeah, it's like, you know, right now AT&T and Verizon CEOs are sitting in a club, and they want to keep, keep the other two guys out. But once those two merge and enter the club, they'll be part of the club. And then, uh, you know, it will be no. It would not be more competition. So then, so. do you do you expect at some point down the road we will see some sort of deal that will be approved that will be a merger of T-Mobile and or Sprint or potentially with some other company, but with T-Mobile being kind of the lead piece here, Hamant. Um, yes, I would see a merger, but not of T-Mobile and Sprint, but. T-Mobile with some other company and potentially Sprint with some other company. And it may not be a full-scale merger. It may actually be, uh, like Herb alluded to, licensing deals, other types of alliances where one firm, may, like Comcast, may build out the 5G network and the Sprint or the T-Mobile may provide more of the traditional broadband spectrum because... uh, Collectively, those two things are both there. They, they need each other, and they would collectively build the next generation network that would have extremely high speeds, 
It would enable virtual reality, you know, high bandwidth movies, telesurgery, autonomous cars. You know, you do need that next generation technology at some point. And uh, Sprint by itself would not be able to deliver that. Timmy Bill's argument today, at least, is that by themselves, they wouldn't be able to do that. But if they were could not merge, then there really is room for other big companies to come in and build alliances, licenses, or outright acquisitions of these two firms. Is this a fairly cut and dry, Herb? Is this fairly cut and dry in, in terms of you both seem to feel that, that this is a deal that should not go through. Is it pretty much cut and dry, or is there room to, to hear the conversation and hear the reasoning of both T-Mobile and Sprint as to why they are trying to bring this forward? I'm reluctant to use the term cut and dry, particularly okay. when you're talking about information technologies. Uh, yes, if you look at the market share rules uh, in, the, in the guidelines, this merger is quite a bit over the concentration levels where the government ordinarily would uh, disapprove the merger except uh, unless uh, the defendants were able to come up with evidence of what they term extraordinary efficiencies. So it's in a highly challengeable area. The guidelines were frankly written to cover all markets, uh, but we know that you know markets differ from each other, and yeah. the amount of networking and standardization that goes on in cell phone markets adds complexity. Uh, you know, but but I agree with Haymont in, in, in this particular case. The complexities are not ones that counsel in favor of this merger, based on the provable facts we have now. You know, five years from now, maybe uh, we'll conclude differently. But as of right now, I don't see any clear proof of gains that could be had only if this merger is uh, completed. And that's what the antitrust enforcers will be looking for. And, and I guess, Heyman, you know, if, if we already had another entity outside of, of AT&T and Verizon and Sprint and T-Mobile that was a considered to be a major player in the market at this point, that may have been, you know, a, a piece of information that would impact a potential decision, correct? That's right. But I don't think you can put out a, a fifth major player. So, there are a number of other cell phone service providers, but mostly these are what are called the MVNOs, uh, virtual network operators. And even among those, most of them are actually owned by one of these companies or have solid alliances with them. And then you have Comcast, which is also piggybacking on Verizon. You have Google, which is piggybacking on, on, this, on, on all of these providers. So really there isn't anyone from outside the industry at this moment. Um, you know, the complexity arguments Herb makes have led some people to put forward this other radical idea, which has sort of been dismissed, which is that the network itself should become somewhat in nationalized. It should be owned as a public good, and then service provision should be opened up to a number of providers. That doesn't really seem to be going anywhere, but if at all there is this complexity argument that, look, it's an industry that is very, very hard to set up, then what that says is there will be very few providers who have the infrastructure, and then they will really milk the service once they set up the infrastructure. And one way around that is to either have some kind of nationalization, maybe not literally so. Right. And the second is to treat them as sort of some kind of uh, free access utilities that, that the infrastructure companies 
are required to provide the market uh, the ability to offer services. And I think we have lost that in this industry for about the last 20 years after right. the 1996 Act. So if at all there, this merger is approved, it would need to go along with some kind of nationalization argument. And I think that's very unlikely in the U.S. Heyman, as always, great to hearing from you. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Herb, as always, great seeing you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Herbert Homenkamp from uh, here at the Wharton School and the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Heyman Bargava from the University of California at Davis. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.